Canuck Central. It is not Canuck Central. <laughs> you almost did it before the break, too. Yep. Just so used to it. Can't help myself. I had that issue uh, once when I was still calling Vancouver Giants games, and I was asked to fill in calling a Whitecaps game. <laughs> yeah. And I went the entire game without saying Vancouver Giants or throwing to break by saying this is Giants hockey. And then at the very end of the postgame show, signing off, I made the mistake after I'd got all the way through the broadcast. I was livid. <laughs> That, so that's the worst you part. You, ju- you you drove the whole way home angry with yourself that you did it at the end. Yeah, exactly. Not not great. Badge, people are very upset at your road cities list. I can see that, yes. Uh, I've had people questioning my fandom when I was a kid. Marcus and Gibson says, Batch, honest question. Were you a Bruins fan as a kid? You're a Sox fan, so dot, dot, dot. I was not a Bruins fan. I have never been a Bruins fan. I was a Canucks fan growing up. Don't worry. Uh, I can like a city without being a fan of a particular <laughs> team there, can't I? It's a nice place to go. What, uh, what can I say? It, it should at least um, it should cloud your view of that city. I don't know. Let's uh, let's uh, ask our next guest, uh, Sean Pendergast, Sports Radio Six Ten. My my co-host here is the play-by-play man for the uh, Vancouver Canucks, Sean, and so we, were, we he was going through his best road cities in the NHL, and and he listed Boston over New York. What's a better city to visit, Boston or New York? Oh, man, that's a good question. I have a daughter who went to college in Boston, so I spent a lot of time up there, but New York is one of my favorite cities. Um, I, would say, I, would, I would say New York, but it's really, really close. I'm, I, I just, I, there's more to do in New York. There's more to do late at night in New York. I'm kind of a night owl. <laughs> so I would, I, would say, uh, I would say New York, but they're both, I, I love them both. They're both great cities. Oh. They're a lot closer than people would think, right? You would think, well, oh, New yeah. York. No, I, I grew up I grew up like equidistant from both of those cities. I grew up right outside of Hartford. So I was like an hour and a half from Boston and like two hours from New York. So um and I was a Hartford Whaler season ticket holder growing up, by the way. So there's oh, let's that. Go. Um awesome. yeah. Greatest logo in the history of team sports. Um but uh yeah, so I grew up right in between. It's quite the turf war. They're not that far apart at all. Close enough to have a very small civil war amongst uh, a bunch of Chowds and a bunch of New Yorkers up there. <laughs> so were you a big Ron Francis guy, Pat Verbeek? Huge. Oh, dude, Pat Verbeek. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> Kevin Deneen. I have a Kevin Deneen sweater in my closet. Uh, Ray Ferraro. Ray Ferraro. Mike Lee. I could go for days. I can keep playing this game. Tori <laughs> Robertson was our goon. He was our goon back then. Tori yeah. Robertson was. Uh, oh, hell yeah. That's the, That was my squad, man. I was a... I was a dyed in the wool Whalers fan. Yeah, uh, the uh, Hartford Whalers. It's always a good uh, good throwback when it comes to hockey talk. Uh, all right, Sean Pendergast joining us here, Sports Radio six ten. So uh, lots going on, obviously in the NFL training camps now uh, underway, but uh, the news cycle never really stops. And 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 today the Miami Dolphins uh, hit with uh, tampering charges, have to give up a couple of draft picks. Uh, a lot of times, like. The Miami Dolphins, like nothing that happens to the Dolphins ever really surprises me, Sean. They they just uh, Stephen Ross just doesn't seem to know how to how to own a football team, at, at least to have it be successful on the field. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, they, I mean, yeah, obviously the story today um, with the uh, with the tampering. Um, if I was thinking about this, uh, if they, you know, the one team that was going hot and heavy after Deshaun Watson at the trade deadline was the Miami Dolphins. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if, if they had traded for Deshaun Watson 
would we have gotten this ruling and the Deshaun Watson six-game suspension in the same week? Like, would Miami have just fallen into the ocean if <laughs> if Deshaun Watson was on that team this week? You know, like, because you would have the Deshaun Watson news if he were a Dolphin, and then you would have all the Stephen Ross stuff going on. Yeah, it's I, I t- like it's it's wild, man. Like these, the, the there's 32 owners in the NFL. I guess 31 plus a bunch of people up in Green Bay that own the team. Um, and it's it's really wild, like to look at some of the people who own these teams and some of the things they say and some of the things they do, and some of them are captains of industry. It's just it's 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 absolutely scary. Yeah, I I have I think the Dolphins uh, like this whole thing. They trade for Tyreek Hill, and now two is the most accurate guy in the league according to Tyreek Hill. I they are a clear under for me this year. I'm not a Mike McDaniel guy. The dude steps up to the mic and tries to crack a joke every time he's at a press conference. Coach your damn football team, man. Stop trying to make it a night at the improv. Um, and I think Tyreek Hill is going to murder Tua Tungavailoa by like week three because he can't throw the ball more than 15 yards down the field. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a train wreck waiting to happen. We're all watching yes. it as as it falls apart. You know, so they they try to lure Tom Brady to Miami on two different occasions in 2019 and then again in 2022. Uh, I, I, how are they not able to pull this off? I, I guess because they're the Miami Dolphins, but also to then watch their cross-state rival get yeah. Tom Brady and win a Super Bowl with him. I mean, that that's just got to be life as a Dolphins fan. Yeah, because like we're the. I mean, honestly, was Tampa Bay all that much more well-run than Miami before Brady got there? No, not really. I mean, that's you know, like that's they, you're right. They got to be looking at it and go, okay, well, this guy's the elixir. Like he's the you know he's the magic <laughs> pill. You dump him on the team, and all of a sudden you become a Super Bowl contender. In the case of the Bucks, a Super Bowl champion. Um, so yeah, that's it's got to be tough to watch. Although, like, I don't know. Like, I, I watch professional sports down in Florida, and I wonder. Like, that's a college sports state. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think we probably care more on this phone call than a lot of the people in Florida care about <laughs> those teams. Yeah, it's fair enough. Uh, the one thing about about Brady on it, though. You know, does it say anything about his commitment to Tampa Bay right now that he was chatting with the Dolphins again this offseason while the whole retirement question mark was kind of hanging over him? Yeah, I've, I've always felt kind of this whole offseason like that Brady is sort of like the, the Tampa Bay thing now is like this kind of it feels like a marriage that he's stuck in in a weird way. You know, like I would it surprise you guys if Brady was still playing in the NFL next year, but playing for another team like like, like let's pretend Trey Lance is just awful in San Francisco and they decide to move on, and that was Brady's team when he was growing up. Like that, I mean, I don't know. I, I I don't know what Brady's contract is. I'm guessing it's just year to year at this point. But it really, if it feels like one of those things, it's more like a marriage out of convenience or obligation at this point than than the first year when he got there, when he won a Super Bowl and he was stumbling around drunk off of a boat the, the day after they won. Like that was fun, Tom Brady. That was a Tom Brady I thought I'd never see. It was great. And in terms of the punishment here for the Dolphins with this tampering, does does the punishment in this case fit the crime? Because I know we'll get into the Deshaun Watson situation yeah. here in a couple of minutes. But with the Dolphins, does does this make sense in terms of the punishment that the NFL has know. handed down? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. And and I like I was reading some of the things the commissioner was saying today about the Dolphins thing, and I'm reading some of the stuff that Sue Robinson was saying in the. Um, in the brief about Watson, you know, the 15 page document that, that they put out yesterday and the things that they say about what these, about what Steven Ross did and what Deshaun Watson did make them sound like the worst human beings in the world. And then he loses a first round pick and a third round pick. Like I don't look at the one point, but the, the fine is whatever, like 1.5 million for a billionaire, like the money that that's, 
it's the first and the third round pick spread out over two years. Like he, I mean, Roger Goodell was talking like the, you know, Stephen Ross and tanking games is the worst thing you can do. And tamper, this is the worst case of tampering I've ever seen because it was with multiple teams and it affected so many people. And it was a player and a coach, first and a third round pick. Like, okay. I mean, like, <laughs> like that's, and they already have a first round pick this year, anyways. They have two because the, the, tra- the uh, Trey Lance trade, they already had two. So they still have a first round pick. And then the Watson thing, you guys read, if, I don't know if you read that thing, the 15 page document where Sue Robinson was explaining herself, but she was going through like the three different facets of the player conduct policy that the league claimed Watson was in violation of um, sexual assault, um, basically intimidation of other people and uh, sullying the reputation of the league. And she went through each of the three and was adamant that he absolutely violated all three of these things. He didn't have remorse. Um, he was, he, this is the most, she used the word egregious, and then you get, to, you get to the part with the punishment, and you're expecting this guy to be banned for, like, two years based on how the document read, six games. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I, like I've given up trying to figure out punishments in the NFL. Like, I totally give up. The, the follow-up on that is, like, how's the NFL going to handle that? Are they just accepting the decision, or are they going to um, look to get a bigger suspension? I know. That's a huge question. We'll know by, what's today, Tuesday. We'll know by Thursday. They got till Thursday to appeal. Um, my gut says, my gut says they're just going to roll with the six games and it has nothing to do with them thinking that he shouldn't get more games. I, I think everybody, I, I, not everybody, but I think a majority of people think six games was really, really light, including obviously people in the NFL offices. They wanted a year. Um, but this is the, there's a bigger thing at play here with respect to the relation between the players and the owners and the collective bargaining agreement, this is the first time that a punishment has been handed down under this new way of dishing out uh, discipline with Sue Robinson involved. And if they appeal, if the, you know, if the NFL appeals and Roger, Roger Goodell basically just crumples up her work and says, Nope, it's 12 games. Then what if, you know, then you, you completely undermine this, this piece that you collectively bargained I'm not saying that's a great reason to not appeal. I'm just trying to predict what I think is going to happen. And that's what I think is going to happen. I, look, I'm in Houston. So I hope Deshaun Watson, I was hoping he'd get two years because the Texans have the first round picks for the Browns the next two years. You know what I mean? Like I, he, they can suspend him forever for all I care. I live in Houston, Texas. So, um, but I, I think at the end of the day, I, if I had to bet, do they appeal or do they not appeal? I think, I, I think he's at the, in the end of the day, I think he's going to have a six game suspension and that's it. And they're going to move on. And if that is the case, from a football perspective, how does this set up for the Browns now that they have certainty around when he's going to be available to them going forward? Really well, actually. I don't know if you guys have looked, but their schedule, the Browns' schedule for the first six games is about as easy a six-game stretch as I can remember a team starting out a season with. Like, no joke. Like they, I don't have it in front of me, but their first four games are Carolina, the Jets, the Steelers and the Falcons. Those are four of the worst 10 teams in football going into the season. Um, they, the next two games after that are both at home against the Chargers and the Patriots. So there's no world beaters on there. Four of them are at home. Four of them are against the dregs of the league and only one of them's in the division and it's against the worst team in the division. So I, I think they can easily go three and three with Jacoby Brissett against that schedule. I think they'll be favored with Jacoby Brissett in at least three of those games. 
Um, so I think it sets up well. Like the, the Browns, if it stays six games, and you think about this, like Deshaun Watson did everything wrong over the last, really over the last two years. But let's just talk about since the lawsuit started flying. Like he, he should have settled at the very beginning. He didn't. I mean, he's settling now, which is that, that's all you need to know. He should have been settling these things a year ago. Um, he said he's put his foot in his mouth every time he's at a press conference. Um, you know, and, and the, at the end of the day, he's going to get a six game slap on the wrist. The Browns are probably not going to really lose much ground over that suspension. And he got $230 million guaranteed. It's crazy. It's like, it's just, it's bananas. It's, uh, it is wild. Like the whole guaranteed contract before all of this was settled was, uh, also, you know, just another fascinating part of the, of the story. Yeah. You know, that, that AFC North, the AFC in general, Sean, like I feel like all of the best teams in the league right now are, are in the AFC. Uh, maybe, uh, of course, the Rams are the defending champions. Um, yeah. But uh, it just, there is just such a deep pool of quality football teams in the AFC. Uh, like every team in the AFC West seems pretty strong to me. It's crazy. It's, and I feel like I said it's crazy on this call like 15 times. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now, guys. So it is crazy. Um, but the, the West is stacked, man. Like Derek Carr is the worst quarterback in that division. And Derek Carr might've been a top 10 quarterback last year. Like that's how, that's how competitive that division is. You know, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, who gets a lot of like top five quarterback in the league love for a guy who's not been to the playoffs yet, but mm -hmm. I'm, you know, you can see the talent there with him. And then, you know, Mahomes is Mahomes. Uh, and even the AFC North, you know, the uh, I mean, the West is the best division, but even the, the AFC North is, you know, if once Deshaun Watson is under center for the Browns, it's Watson, it's Lamar Jackson, it's Joe Burrow. And then the Steelers, I don't think are going to be a very good team overall because their quarterback situation is a mess, you know, unless Kenny Pickett is ready to go right out of the shoot. And it doesn't sound like that's the case. I mean, those games are always going to be competitive with the Steelers because they've got a good defense and they're the Steelers, but yeah, you're right. The AFC is uh, – It's. I can tell you from experience right now, it's tough being in a city that's not one of the cities we just named in the AFC. <laughs> it's not easy to be in Houston, Texas right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, Houston's going through that 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 uh, little bit of a rebuild right now, right? And yeah. um, it, there's just uh, – there's too many quality teams. H how do you feel Kyler Murray handled the whole uh, needs-to-do-independent study uh, situation in the last week? Not great. I mean, yeah. not great at all. Uh, I, you know, the, look, I, I think the silliest thing out of all of it was that the Cardinals took it out of the contract. Like, yeah. Okay, what are you doing? Like, the, the, like, the damage is done. You know, the, you can't unring that bell. It's like deleting Whatever. a tweet, Sean. You know, once it's out there, yeah. uh, it, like, people yeah. have seen it. You can't take it back. Right. <laughs> exactly. We screencast that clause, <laughs> and I've got it saved on my phone. I can show it to Kyler anytime I see him. Look, they told you to study I don't think he handled it well at all. I think the fact that he was kind of blaming the media and I felt like if I were at that press conference, I'd be like, dude, you signed the contract with that clause in it. And he said himself, guys, he said himself like a year ago in an interview, something to the effect of like, I'm, he was bragging about his cognitive skills in the pocket and how he sees things before other people see them. So I, I'm not really into studying film all that much. Like he said those things. It's almost like he was taking issue with himself. Mm -hmm. You know, like he himself said he's not a big film watcher. I think the funniest thing out of all of it, other than the Cardinals deleting the, you know, de deleting the tweet, as you guys said, yeah. it was the number of hours. Like four hours. 
you have to study independently for four hours. Like that, I mean, that's like, that's like telling your kids you have to wash one dish. You got to wash one dish this week. Or wash a dish. Like four hours. Tom Brady, Tom Brady has four hours knocked out by lunchtime on Monday on the next yeah. opponent. You know, like it's crazy. Make, uh, make your bed one day this week and, w- and we'll be happy. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is the lowest bar you have to clear. And he's getting up, but he, you know, he's getting like all jerky about that. It's just, I, I don't think he handled it. I don't think he handled it well at all. I'd be nervous as hell. And I said this before we even knew there was an independent study clause on the contract. If I were a Cardinals fan, I would be really, really nervous that you made this gigantic commitment to Kyler Murray. You're not, you're committed to Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury too. They both got extensions this off season. Mm-hmm. Like none of these guys have done anything yet. No. <laughs> like they, none of them have done anything and you're married to them for the next three, four, five years. So um, I'd, be, I'd be nervous if I were a Cardinal fan. Sean, uh, we really appreciate the time today. Thanks for this. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, guys. Uh, there is uh, Sean Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, joining us uh, here to talk some NFL as it is NFL season upon us. The Hall of Fame game on Thursday. I'll say this, Batch, because um, I've uh, I've already been – hitting the panic button on Tom Brady a little bit <laughs> after the whole, like he's retiring and now he's not retiring situation. But I think he almost looks, he, you know, in terms of like who looks bad on today's news around the Miami dolphins and tampering Brady is second on the list. Cause nobody can look worse than the dolphins. Brady yeah, it would be impossible to look worse than them. It's Im- <laughs> it, it is really uh, unless you're Deshaun Watson, I guess. It is really embarrassing how how the Miami Dolphins are run. But Brady already one foot out the door on his football career decides to come back. Probably wants to do it with the Dolphins, but has to do it because he's under contract with the Tampa Bay. Buccaneers and now that team you know they don't have Gronk yeah they still have some weapons but it really is and they they picked up Julio Jones last week so hey you know there's still a lot of talent on that team and the NFC South is not very good but I'm still looking at the Buccaneers and I'm looking at Tom Brady and I'm saying this is the year that Tom Brady finally takes a step back the shine comes off the shine finally comes off Brady like I don't think he'll be terrible but gone are the days where we see elite Tom Brady and some of the numbers he was putting up in the last couple of years not going to happen this year I feel once you have had the thought in your mind that you want to retire or that you want to play for another team you're probably your heart's not fully in it with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I wonder how his teammates would have taken today's news that while he was pondering retirement, he was also wondering if he may become a partner with the Miami Dolphins ownership group and potentially play a year or two for the Miami Dolphins. That, to me, is a huge red flag for number 12. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, but I've also thought for like the last three or four years that the shine was going to come off Tom Brady. And it never did. So I'm finished doubting him. Like, I'm sure it's going to happen eventually. Or maybe he has another good season and retires, you know, next year. And that's the end of it. But, you know, as much as I want to agree with you, 
I, you know, Tom Brady's proved me wrong enough times that I'm not willing to make that bet anymore. A uh, couple more things I I, uh, I wanted to get to, and and I know um, <laughs> we're gonna have some fun uh, coming up later this hour with uh, the 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 leftovers of the unrestricted free agent market in the NHL, <laughs> but um, the Miami Dolphins they are sneaky the worst team in sports batch. They are awful. They've done nothing since Dan Marino left that team. They are terribly run. They tanked seasons. I know the NFL didn't find that they were tanking, but... Didn't find proof of it anyway. Yeah, it's pretty obvious the way that they were collecting draft picks and everything else, how much they were trying to lose football games. They were just fielding a poor football team. You know, as we've seen in other sports, you want to lose games, you just roster a really bad team and you'll end up with the first overall pick or one of those top picks. And even during that time, they managed to tamper (laughs) by trying to get Tom Brady to go and play for them. They tried to lure a real coach in Sean Payton uh, (laughs) to play to, to coach for their team, even though. You know, he retired from the New Orleans Saints and still technically under contract with them. This is a franchise that can't get out of its own way. They are so bad. Everybody talks about, you know, the Browns in the NFL and so many other teams, the New York Jets, Dom knows very well, stink and have stunk for a very long time. The Minnesota Vikings, Josh's team, Josh's squad, Awful. Continue to pay Kirk Cousins obscene amounts of money. They're trying their best. To be a very average team, but at least they're average. At least they're average. The Dolphins are nothing and have been nothing forever. It's embarrassing, this football team. Yeah, the only other team in North American pro sports that even comes to mind in this conversation for me is the Arizona Coyotes. That's not even good then, company to be in. I don't think they've had tampering on their <laughs> resume, although they, they have had issues, what, paying their arena lease and paying some of the people they've worked with allegedly and, and some of the things like that. That that's I, I can't think of another team that really comes close, though. Uh, Knicks from Minor Matt in Abbotsford. That's fair. Knicks are pretty bad. Uh, but still not Miami Dolphins level, even for me. Uh, Gurjeet. I'm sorry, Reach, but the Sacramento Kings are worse than the Dolphins in regards to pro franchises. If it, I don't think there's a more nondescript franchise than the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, they're like part of the wallpaper. They're in the <laughs> NBA, but I have they're one. not relevant at all. I have one. And when I okay. say it, you will know. The Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> the Reds are more, I mean, yeah. The Reds are almost so bad now, though, that it's noteworthy how bad they are. But they like I've paid attention to the Reds because they have they have Joey Votto. So you, <laughs> but the rest of North America and the world, not so much. Cincinnati fans don't even care about the Reds. Yeah, are you sure about that? What else do people care about in Cincinnati? And the Bengals, the Bengals, and the Bengals, white helmets. Yes. But the Bengals for a long time were were also very nondescript. Um, Cincinnati's probably top of the list for for sports cities that have had the most futility. Yes, overall. Um, until recently, of course, with the Bengals, <laughs> but uh, the, the Bengals just doing anything, uh, makes people, ma- makes people happy in Cincinnati. I, 
I just don't think there's a team more poorly run than the Miami Dolphins. They're probably not the team that people think about first when it comes to this conversation, but they, what have they done in the last 30 years since Marino quit since Marino retired? And even then they had one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history and did nothing with him because they are so poorly run for the, basically the entirety of that franchise since, you know, the, the early seventies when they had the perfect season and everything else. Since then, they've just been an absolute train wreck and continue to be. And they're not going anywhere. They're going to be awful this year with Tua and Tyreek and everything else that they've got going on. They're going to fall flat on their face. I bet they finish last in the AFC East. Yeah. The most relevant thing about the Dolphins these days is that they featured prominently in Ace Ventura, and that's about it. <laughs> it's great. Laces out. Great scene. Finkel. Is Einhorn. Uh, all right, uh, Dan Richo, Brendan Batchelor, coming up. Can we build a competitive hockey team with the best remaining unrestricted free agents? We'll find out next on Sportsnet 650. People's show, Dan Richo and Brendan Batchelor. Hey, you got it right that time. Good work. I know. People's show. It's been, it's been a tough, tough run. <laughs> You'll get it right just in time for Canucks Central to come back. Um, Donkey with this text. The Jets are trending up, Reach. They have good weapons around Wilson. Just need Zach Wilson to step up in the next few years. He's got that dog in him. <laughs> <laughs> What? Uh, producer Dom Schramatti. Zach Wilson. He's got that dog in him. Yeah. It'll be a good year for him. You're hoping so, at least. Well, as we found out, he's got that dog in him. <laughs> Still think- There's a good text as well. Yeah. Because uh, I was talking about the Coyotes being in that conversation mm-hmm. with the uh, with the Dolphins. Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen says, Don't forget... The Coyotes lost two picks for combine violations. They also had the issue with uh, John Chaka, their former general manager, where he wanted to leave and they wouldn't let him. So, you know, the Coyotes have have had some some off-ice troubles as well on top of being one of the worst teams we've seen in recent NHL history. Uh, So one of the things we wanted to do today and uh we do have a text from jason and south van wanting us to talk about wrestling uh <laughs> if there is time at the end of this segment i want to take on rick flair from batch oh okay <laughs> <laughs> i think that's all all i need to say right there <laughs> okay uh all right well there's your rick flair take jason and south van um okay so i don't know i was going through like remaining free agents because i was looking at Kadri earlier and like okay still Kadri's technically still on the market we think he's going to the Islanders but so is Patrice Bergeron and I'm like oh okay could you build a relatively competitive hockey team with the best remaining unrestricted free agents and I gotta say Batch there's some interesting names still out there but a whole team Probably would need would need some some good luck beans to 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 have some yeah. success. But no, I'll, I'll give 
I'll give you credit here because you compiled a great list yeah. uh, here that we can look at as we talk about this. <laughs> um, and my immediate thoughts are yeah. that the forward group would be better than I would have expected, mm-hmm. but you're getting almost no help on the blue line or in goal. So, but, but I guess it depends how we're defining competitive, because if I look at the pending free agents that are out there, yeah, I think you could put together a team that would be better than the Seattle Kraken were last year. Yep. Just based on like some of the names are guys that were on the Kraken at points yeah. last year that are still out there. So, you know, competitive as in not being the absolute worst team in the league. Yeah. I think that's possible. Now, are we talking playoff team, anything like that? No way. Right. Like immediately the goaltenders here, Holtby, Hammond, Baruby and Sparks. Like there's not a starting goaltender. There's arguably not a, a legitimate backup on that list. Yeah. And so as you're in trouble right away, as uh, Kevin Woodley would tell us, uh, Braden Holtby. And as we've heard, Braden Holtby uh, probably not playing this year and may have to call it a career uh, given the injury he's dealing with. So, yeah, your, your goalies are uh, the Hamburglar, Andrew Hammond, uh, John Francois Barube and Garrett Sparks. There's your. There's your three goalies. That's... And uh, like I, I'm an NHL play-by-play guy who watches every team play and studies them, and I probably couldn't tell you where Jean-Francois Berube played last. <laughs> so that that tells you how relevant he is in this conversation. Hey, but goal, goalies don't matter, uh, or you don't want to rely on your goalie too much. So maybe, maybe, maybe the, the rest of the team would be okay. So it, it, let's say we're drafting this team. Batch. Oh man. Okay. Patrice Bergeron's the first overall pick, right? You're, you could you could argue Nazem Kadri because of age, but yes, those are immediately the two best players on this list. Yeah, so Kadri and Bergeron are the the first two picks, and hey, you know, like that's not a bad first two centers to have on your roster, putting out there every night if you're the coach, right? And weirdly enough, you know, there's probably more centermen to go around with this team than there is. Anything else? Next up would be Evan Rodriguez, who still doesn't have a team, coming off a career year with the Pittsburgh Penguins, was really good. Victor Rask, solid fourth-line center. Cody Eakin, solid bottom six player. Same with Johan Larson. And then you got guys like Kyle Turris, Jay Beagle, Sam Steele. Still out there. Sam Steele could probably play wing for you uh, on, on one of these lines. So through the middle of the ice, you know, this team's actually not looking that bad. Yeah, if we were truly building a team and trying to get a roster ready for the NHL season, I might sign all of those centermen. Yeah. And then try to find a way to turn them into other assets because the the center ice depth is by far the best positional depth of any position in terms of guys that are still out there on the market. Like Which is, all of those yeah. guys could legitimately be top 4 centermen on an NHL team, and I don't know if you can say the same about some of the other positions, particularly on the blue line. Uh, we, we've we got um, a couple of questions coming in. Does it have to be cap compliant? I, I don't think we have a problem making this team cap compliant. <laughs> I mean, we might have a problem hitting the floor. Yes, that's... Uh... That that you have would to overpay some of these guys to get up there. But. Yeah, it's like uh, when Ed Jovanovski got the four by four <laughs> deal with the Florida Panthers. He was like thirty six or whatever he was. Um, all right, so so we're okay on that front. I, I'm I'm not too worried about how we look through the middle of the ice. So let's go to left wing, and here's where it starts to get a little bit dicey. Okay, Paul Stastny 
is likely to be our first line left wing. Not as much yeah. of a centerman anymore at this stage of his career. Could be a decent playmaker off the wing, but that's where we're going with our first line left wing. Unless you want to go Sonny Milano, who had a really strong season with the Anaheim Ducks last year, and people look at him as a guy that's ready to break out. I mean, Zach Aston Reese has has played on a line with Sidney Crosby in the past, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So maybe you'd move him up the lineup a bit. Hey, like we've, we've got some defensive prowess anyway. on this team. Zach Aston Reese, one of the better defensive forwards in the league. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not too worried about left wing yet either. Like, you don't have that elite left winger, but if you're looking, let's say, Stasny, Milano, Aston Reese, and then the other options are like, you know, Ennis or VC, who, you know, were both players on fourth lines in the North Division, the All-Canadian Division a couple of years ago. So they can scrape by on NHL rosters. Like, you know, Jonathan Dolan, you've got in there as well. I don't know if I'd want to take a flyer on him personally, but so your fourth line isn't looking great, but, you know, you, you can manage. You've got you've got a manageable left side, I'll say. Yeah, Jonathan Dolan, uh, there's some thought that he uh, might end up back in, in Europe, but now given the, the dearth of scoring options uh, on this list batch, I think I might have to sign Jonathan Dolan uh, to this to this roster. Uh, on on right wing, okay. So so right now, there's four guys. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not we're not looking at a, uh, a, a, a that strong of a team. I look. I, I don't think it's it's probably better than Arizona and Chicago, but it's it's still not good enough to be much stronger than that. Phil Kessel is our first line right wing. So you've got a first line that's essentially Bergeron, Stasny, and Kessel, which yeah. is aging. L- Elderly by <laughs> NHL standards, shall we say, but it's not awful. Is Perge- they would put up some points. Is Bergeron good enough defensively that he could carry Stastny and Kessel for us? Yeah, probably, but the problem is that you'd also need two defensemen out there too, and we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> That's going to be another issue. So Bergeron would have to be the entire defensive conscience on the ice including both wingers, both defensemen, and likely the goalie. So it's probably not going to end well for him. Uh, Daniel Sprong is probably our second-line right wing. Um, yeah. Not not promising. Alex Chason. So we've got our power play specialist batch for the net front. Net front, there you go. Uh, is, is next on our list. And uh, Dominic Simon is uh, also among our right, right wing group. We don't have many other options. So no. This is either what we're going with or we're uh, switching positions for some of the other guys that we've mentioned. Yeah, and, and I mean, as I said, I would probably draft all the centermen, so maybe you can find a way to, you know, move Kyle Turris to the wing so you don't yeah. have to take Simone or something like that. There, you've Kyle got Turris has had there. some tough years, though, in Edmonton, you know? Yeah, at least, like, Dominic Simone's not an offensive player, but he's a checker. He's a depth guy. You kind of know what you get with him to a certain extent. This so team could check. I guess it depends what you want the identity of your team to be. But the problem is you don't have a ton of offensive upside, so you're going to need guys that can score as well as guys that can defend. So, okay. The forward group has some decent, like, checking forwards there. But this is this is uh, the decor. Uh, our first pair D batch. Going to be Calvin DeHaan and P.K. Subban. Not great. 
I mean, would have looked a little bit better five or six years ago, but still not great. I wonder, like, where PK ends up. Does he, like, just chase a cup at this point of his career? Like, sign on as a league min somewhere? That that may be the play. The question is, are there cup contenders that can fit him into their top six anymore? Yeah. Like, Uh, it, it... the 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 shine I, I use this term already in the show, but the shine has worn off PK Subban's stardom very quickly. He has gone from being one of the top defensemen in the league. What was he, he was making nine million dollars a year, I think, up until this past season, and now we're sitting here on August second, and he still doesn't have a contract. Um, the the PK thing, like, I think he's okay as like a third pair right shot D now, um, in in a limited role, but. I, yeah. think, I think he can still do that. Uh, Unfortunately, our... we'd be asking him to be on the top pair <laughs> on this team, so that's creating issues. This is true. Uh, our, our second pair D, uh, pro- like Ryan Murray is is like with a bullet, our second pair left shot D. Um, was he still on Colorado at the end of the year? I guess he was, just didn't play. Um, and Stanley Cup champion Ryan Murray that yes. you've got. So you've got that you've got that glue guy in the room who knows what it takes. Reach. You also have Jay Beagle, so I guess you have that too. <laughs> Alex Biega, Michael Stone, and Chris Russell are the options for our second pair right shot D. Man, probably Chris Russell. What what was uh, the the sigh you gave after Ric Flair or <laughs> those <laughs> options for right shot D? Yeah, it's it's not great. We know that right shot D are a premium in the NHL anyway. Here's what I would say is you talk the Canucks into trading you Tyler Myers, and then it works out for both sides. Yep. Where the Canucks get off that money, and you actually find a guy that can manage in a top four situation. But Now you're um, changing the rules here, Batch. Yes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I probably go with, to me, it's Biega is the fourth on that list, and you're probably going with Chris Russell over Michael Stone on the second pairing. Um, and then, yeah, you got, you got Biega and Michael Stone to go along with, uh, Dennis Chalowski and Derek Pouliot on the left side. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about this list is seeing how many recent former Canucks are on it, <laughs> right? Like there's Jay Beagle, there's, there's Derek, Derek Pouliot. Pouliot, there's Alex Biega, Alex Chason, uh, Alex Chason, uh, Jimmy Vesey as well. Jonathan Dolan. Uh, maybe speaks more to the Canucks struggles in recent years than anything else. But So do we think like, do we have a competitive team here? Um, we've got Bergeron, Rodriguez, Kadri as our, our three centermen. Uh, we're, we're counting on them to, to really carry this roster. Then we've got yeah. Sonny Milano who had a, a breakout year last year in Anaheim is somehow still out there and available. Um, Aging I- guys that have produced offensively in the past like Stasny and Kessel. So you've got it, some good good checking depth, Aston Reese. Is this the worst team in the league? <sighs> Here's the problem is we don't really know what Chicago's going to look like yet. Yeah. So I would actually say no. I don't think it would be the worst, but it's for sure bottom 3. Okay. So three teams in the West didn't reach 30 wins. That was Arizona, Chicago, and Seattle last year. Could this team reach 30 wins? 
batch. I don't think so. No? I really don't. Oh. I just to me, like, yes, you've got some offense, you've got some center depth, but you have like I don't even think any of the defensive pairings are good enough to be a second pairing in the NHL, <laughs> let alone a first. And then your goaltenders are probably Andrew Hammond and Sparks, the former Maple Leaf goaltender, who both would be third strings on almost any other team. Yeah. Right? Like, that's where, like, the forward group, you talk to me about the forward group and I'm with you. And then once you get to the blue line and the goaltending, it completely falls off for me. Like, your top pairing is Calvin DeHaan and P.K. Subban. And your starting goaltender is probably Andrew Hammond. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think, you know, how, how many wins did Arizona have last year? Did they, they looked at one point, like they weren't even going to get to 10 with how much they yeah. struggled out of the gate. 25. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if they even get to 25, this Ooh. team of free agents that we're putting together, let alone 30. Montreal had uh, 55 points at 22 wins last year. That was the worst team in the league. <laughs> yeah. So they'd probably they'd be they'd be among the worst teams in the league. Yeah. See, to me, you look at the teams that were bad last year, and mm-hmm. Arizona will likely still be very bad. Chicago will probably be worse. Montreal should be better. Seattle should be better. So that's where I'm going when I'm looking at this team and saying they're a bottom three team. Is I think, you know, maybe they'd be better than Chicago and Arizona. Although even Arizona has some young up and coming players that that might help them out a bit. But I, other than those two teams, if we tried to put this team of players that are still free agents together, I, I don't think you can expect anything better than 30th in the NHL for them. Hmm. Yeah. How about you? What do you think? No, I think, uh, you know what? I think they would be better than the Blackhawks, potentially better than the Coyotes, but that's it. And obviously we're living in this like fantasy land where Patrice Bergeron is signing for our team rather than the the Boston Going Bruins. Going back to the Bruins, yeah. Yeah, but um like I still like Bergeron gives us a number 1 center. And how many how many bad teams can say that they've got a legitimate number 1 center on their roster? And then you have Kadri I mean, you as well. It, so the, the Kraken arguably didn't have one last year. Right. Right? And that, that's so you're what already made them ahead in that area. Yeah. So I, I, I like it from that front, but uh, otherwise, like, it's just, it's too tough. And this is why, you know, I think that what this exercise kind of tells you is uh, goaltending depth is basically impossible to find in the National Hockey League. So uh, draft your goalies well, and hopefully you will um, end up with some goaltending depth in your organization and also defensemen really hard particularly right shot defensemen too yeah right shot defensemen are very very hard to come by so do not let them go away uh here's another question for you quickly yeah if you look at this list and we take out the obvious players that you wouldn't actually be able to sign from a canucks perspective Mm -hmm. so you're not going to go get bergeron you're not going to be able to afford kessel cadre are there any players on this list that you would like to take a flyer on for some added depth for the canucks uh, the only one is Aston Reese. Yeah. I was thinking maybe someone like Michael Stone on a league minimum is a guy that could yeah. provide some competition or be your seventh or eighth D man or go down to Abbotsford. 
Luke Shen type almost. Yeah, maybe he's a right shot, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, having another right shot in the fold might not be the worst thing, but other than that, I agree. Aston Reese, I would want on my team. Well, I I really like Evan Rodriguez, but I still like he He'd should be, be making at least three million though. bucks. You know, yeah. And they have barely any cap space left as we sit right now. Yeah, so. like most teams in the league. Yeah, Dan Richo, Brendan Bachelor. So uh, after all that, we've decided uh, a team of unrestricted free agents would probably not be uh, very competitive, at least not with what's available right now. Uh, all right, before we uh, we depart this hour, I, I should say Brendan Bachelor is departing for the day. We'll be back tomorrow. We still got an hour to go, but we got to do turf trivia, Batch. So, turf trivia right now, the reigning area of Vancouver, holding the belt, the championship belt, is Vancouver. Who will be today's winner, and where is the turf trivia belt going? Also on the line, a four-pack of BC Lions tickets for August 6th against the Edmonton Elks. We're giving these away all week long. You can win a four-pack of tickets to catch the BC Lions. Take it on the Elks over at BC Place this Saturday. Tickets start at only $25. Should you not be able to win them this week here on the People's Show, the BC Lions are back and ready to roar like never before. All right, your turf trivia question for today. Juan Soto finished second in NL MVP voting last season. Who finished first? Who was the NL MVP last year? Let us know, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And you could be going to BC Place this weekend with three friends to watch the BC Lions and Edmonton Elks. Doesn't look like the Blue Jays are getting uh, Noah Syndergaard batch. I'm very upset. It doesn't. They've got, what, seven minutes left to go till the deadline here? Or, although I would imagine we can hear some trades trickle in afterwards. But uh, Like the NHL with the hour and a half wait for uh, other other <laughs> deals to come down? Yeah, they're all they're all in the queue in the fax machine at NHL HQ, so that's what takes so long. No. Didn't, didn't but, like uh, Pearson for good Branson go down like an hour after the deadline or something? It might have, yeah. I don't specifically remember the timing of it, but yeah. Uh, but that, it's routine in the NHL to have trades come out after the deadline has passed. It's all about whether you get that trade call in on time. Um. All right. Blue Jays are probably doing a whole lot of nothing. Man, I, I got to interrupt here. Josh won't hit the breaking news button. I've got breaking news. Oh, on on what? what what's on Noah Syndergaard? Yeah. We were he's just he's not it. going to the Blue Jays, as I alluded to. Well, we know where he's going. Where is he going? Pending going? a physical, he's going to the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, very exciting. Congratulations, Don. Thank you. Why do you like the Phillies again? At Boy Meets World. Yes. And the, 2000, <laughs> and the 2008 World Series. That is maybe the best reason for being a fan of a sports team that I've ever heard in my life. Uh, so you get points for that. You had a crush on Topanga? Or... Who didn't love Topanga? Yeah, it's... Probably true. Oh, we do have breaking news. Breaking news. The um, the Blue Jays have made a trade per Robert Murray. Uh, the Blue Jays are acquiring right-hander Mitchell White from the Los Angeles Dodgers for minor league pitchers. 
So there you go. Big trade by the Blue Jays. Not Noah Syndergaard, but Mitchell Mitchell White. I, I, I really I don't know who Mitchell White is. That's why it's it's breaking yeah. news. Adding another <laughs> arm that can help them, yeah. I would assume. But uh, uh, Ross Atkins and, and Mark Shapiro, they're like, yeah, we got this great baseball team, but we're still going to go bargain hunting for our relievers. Good luck. Not like it cost us last year. <laughs> See, when you played the breaking news sounder, I thought you were going to jump in with the latest from Elliot Friedman, which is that Zach McEwen and the Philadelphia Flyers have settled their arbitration. He gets a one-year deal at 925000 The former Canuck staying with the Flyers. Shouts to Zach. May many fights be in his future. Uh, Batch, this has been a lot of fun. We'll talk tomorrow. Sounds good. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, Brendan Batchelor. We'll give you the winner for Turf Trivia. Also, don't at me. One final hour of the People's Show next on Sportsnet 650.